This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good? You ready for church? Awesome. Say hello to somebody around you and grab a seat quickly. Okay. This is where the quickly part comes in. Grab a seat if you would. I know that's a little shorter than we've normally done it, but uh, hopefully you're feeling welcome in, in church this morning, and especially for those of you who are brand new. Let me introduce myself. My name is Ron. I'm on the pastoral staff here. And for the next few minutes, I'll be teaching you uh, out of God's Word. And we're going to have a great time with that. I've got some things that uh, we need to take care of sort of right up front. So uh, right away, you can get out this card from your program. If you didn't get a program, uh, they're back on the tables. You can uh, run and get a program right now. You'll need this. You'll also need this sheet of paper, which is uh, sort of like a third of a sheet or half a sheet, not quite half. You'll need both of those things as we work our way through the teaching this morning. Um, One of the things that uh, we uh, understand as a church, it's our responsibility, but at the same time, it's our privilege to help people get connected with God. And uh, in order for us to be able to do that, we have to be able to connect with people. So uh, this is um, our opportunity, if you will give it to us, to help you connect with God. So on the front side where it says start here, there's a place down there for your name. Uh, Let's all put our names in there. I'm going to put my name in there right now. And um, there's a place for an email address. If you would do that, if everyone would do that, even those of you who come every week, you know that drill. Uh, For those of you who are new, if you would give us not only uh, your name and your email address, if you would give us whatever other information that you're comfortable with. Uh, We're not going to sell it to anybody. We're not going to abuse it. We're not going to misuse it in any way. But it uh, sort of is logical that uh, the more information you give us, the better uh, able we are to help you get connected with God. So, Okay, you can set that aside. We'll use that uh, once again toward the end of the teaching time. This sheet of paper is for you to take notes. I was visiting with somebody this morning. He said, you know, I love, I, I fill in the blanks and then I put that in my shirt pocket and carry it with me all week. And then somewhere along the week, I pull it out and I look at it again. And, uh, and I find that's really helpful. Our, our goal is that you and I would learn And this has been a wonderful teaching series. This is, um, well, sort of the last in this teaching series on one week to live. Uh, Next week, sort of a little hybrid thing that we're going to do. It's going to be an awfully lot of fun. But in this process of going through the last week of Jesus' life, we've learned a lot about Jesus. We're going to learn some more about him today. But uh, in the process of learning about him, hopefully we're getting to know him. 
Because I'm convinced that if people are not drawn to Jesus, it's just because they don't know him. Because there's nothing about him that would in any way do anything except draw you to him. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at the crucifixion of Jesus. It's the core teaching of the entire Bible. And uh, we're going to learn some, some more about Jesus. And uh, so before we get into that, I have a story to tell you. I, I came home last Thursday and, uh, and, and found out that I had been um, appointed to grandfather duty. Walked in the door and there was my oldest grandson, Theo, who's 10, sitting in my house. And I said, well, Theo, what are you doing here? Ah, Poppy, I don't feel very good. So I came home from school early and Grammy just went out to teach piano and so I'm staying with you. (laughs) All right. I'm on board with that. So Theo, how are you feeling right now? Ah, I'm hungry, but nothing sounds good. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Mom says we're having pizza for dinner. He goes, that just makes me nauseous. That would be a Theo word. I know it's not usual for 10, but that's Theo, all right? So knowing that Theo was a big vegetable fan, I decided that I would go to our refrigerator and see what we had in there. And so open the refrigerator and open the vegetable drawer. And sure enough, there's a brand new fresh bag of broccoli. So I said, hey, Theo, how about if I get some of these broccoli heads and I will blanch them And then I'll melt just a little bit of butter and I'll drizzle the butter over and I'll season a little bit with salt and pepper. How does that sound? He goes, oh, that sounds really good. I said, Theo, you might not know this about me, but I just might be the world's best broccoli blancher. That's hard to say. (laughs) He giggled at my self-appointed title, obviously. And I went, I went to work on it and I, and I fixed him the broccoli and and oh, he took two or three bites. He goes, Poppy, I think you might be. <laughs> you know, when you think about it, probably most of us in this audience, at some point in time in our life, we have said to someone around us that I think there might be trapped inside this body, this kind of a person. I remember saying to my wife years ago, because I love music and rhythm and all that kind of stuff, I think trapped inside this body is probably a pretty good dancer. Well, we had a family dance party Friday night. That person is still deeply trapped inside. (laughs) Yeah. Either that or he doesn't exist in there. But we've all, you know, at times I was convinced there's a pretty good race car driver trapped inside here. Don't you ever wish there was no speed limits? And you could just put the pedal to the metal and cut in and out of traffic. And, and, and you think, I could be good at that. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to talk to us about something today that actually is trapped inside every one of us. I know every teenager is pretty sure that trapped inside them is a terrific parent. And if their parents would just get out of the way, they could handle it, right? And I know that every parent and every retired person is pretty convinced that trapped inside them is the teenager they once were, right? If you just had a different body, you could live like that. Yeah. 
Well, did you know there's something trapped inside you? I mean deep, and I'm going to speak geek here for just a minute. It's at the motherboard level. Okay? There's something trapped inside you. God put it in every single person that He's ever created. And it's so deeply put on the inside of us that we have found it historically impossible to deny. And it drives every one of us. It's wrapped up in one word, and it's the word atonement. Okay? So in your margin, I want you to write the word atonement. And I'm going to give you 30 seconds to write out your definition of atonement. Then we're going to come back to this in just a minute, and we're going to flesh this out, and then we're going to take this right into the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. So here we go. 30 seconds of music while you write. be fun to just go around the room and have us read it, but uh, we're not going to do that, all right? Some of you are really glad, right? Because you're sitting going, "Ah, I don't know. Now, listen, if you've been at church very often in your life, I know you've heard that word, right? But knowing what it means is a little bit different. I'm going to give you a definition this morning I know you never forget, and really it is surprisingly accurate for as simple as it is. So we're going to take this word and we're going to divide it into three sections. Got it? That literally is what the word means. Now let's start over here with ment. Ment means a state of being. Okay? And it means to be at one, in this case, with God. You see, history reveals that every culture... Every culture in the history of mankind, everyone we've ever been able to dig up, everyone we've discovered in the jungles out there somewhere that no one knows anything about, is preoccupied with the single question of how do I get at one with God? You may believe that God is a force. You may believe that God is an essence. You may believe that there are multiple gods, maybe even millions of gods. You may believe that, 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 that God is... Um, a sort of a thing that lives inside you and lives inside of everything and more pantheistic. But you know, it drives us so deeply that throughout history, some people have cut themselves and bled excessively trying to get at one with their pagan God. Other people have done things so unnatural as to take their own children and lay them on burning fire and burn them as a living sacrifice to try to get at one with their God. Some have thrown their children off cliffs. 
Some have sold everything that they own. And they've given it to some religious leader because that religious leader had said to them, if you will just follow me, I will enable you to get at one with your God. Now, why is that so important to us? By the way, some people have even drunk the Kool-Aid, right? Yeah. Why is that so important to us? Because intuitively, okay, at the motherboard level, you and I all know it's in us. We know that if I can get at one with God, whoever and whatever he or she or it may be, my life will go better here on this earth and I will be prepared for life after death. You might deny that, but history reveals it's so deep in human nature that it cannot be eradicated. It is part of who we are. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The crucifixion of Jesus is God's answer to that question. And this morning I hope to be able to help us connect the dots between the crucifixion of Jesus and this concept of atonement and how the crucifixion of Jesus enables us to get in that state of being where we are fully aligned with God's purposes and we can be, if I can borrow the term, at one with God. Does that make sense to everybody? So, so let's jump into that and let's figure out how that works. Okay? I'm going to read the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. I'm not going to actually put it up on, on the screen. I just want you to look at that picture depicting the crucifixion of Jesus and allow your mind, if you would, to be taken back a couple of millennia ago outside the city of Jerusalem and you would have seen a site that looks a lot like that. The Bible says, So Pilate released Barabbas to them. If you don't know who that was, you'll need to pull up the podcast from last week because Kevin did a great job of telling us the story of Barabbas. And he ordered Jesus flogged and with a lead-tipped whip. Then he turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and they called out the entire regiment. Now, if you do a little research, you'll find out that a Roman regiment actually had 600 soldiers. So I want you to imagine this next scene with Jesus standing in the middle of 600 fully armed Roman soldiers around him. They stripped him. They put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown. They put it on his head. They placed a reed stick in his right hand as a mock scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and they taunted him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and they grabbed the stick and they struck him on the head with it. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, By the way, who do you think got tired first, Jesus or them? Yeah. They took off the robe, they put his own clothes on again, and they led him away to be crucified. Along the way, they came across a man named Simon, who was from from Cyrene. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they went out to a place called 
Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Soldiers gave him wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. You know why Jesus refused to drink that? Because gall was actually poison. And Jesus said, I will not drink poison and die in a couple of minutes. I will die as a living sacrifice. And it will be my blood spilling on the ground that takes my life. After they nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothing by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened to the cross above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. It's an interesting, um, it's an interesting thing to be charged with, isn't it? Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and the other on his left. And the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now! You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. (laughs) If you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. Does that look like somebody who could rebuild the temple in three days? Whether you ever sat and looked at that and asked yourself, is that how people would usually picture their God? Not usually. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed. But he can't save himself, so he is the king of Israel, is he? Well, let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. You think that's really true? Well, just days before he raised somebody from the dead, that didn't seem to convince them. When you look at all the things that Jesus had done, that wasn't true. He trusted God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same manner. At noon. By the way, if you're looking and you're listening and you really want to know if Jesus is the Son of God, I want you to know God will make it real to you. He will. He did to these people. He will to you. You know what happened? At noon, darkness fell across the land until 3 o'clock. Have you ever been in a total eclipse of the sun? I remember one of those. It's pretty eerie when in the middle of the day it just gets dark. That should have clued somebody in. About 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. And Jesus shot out again, and he released his spirit. That's the crucifixion as recorded in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 50. It is 
really about the atonement. Before I get into what that means for all of us, I want to take us back to a little history of crucifixion because I had heard that crucifixion was something invented by the Romans to be the most painful way for someone to die. Anybody ever heard that? I'm the only one who ever heard that? No, several of you have. It's actually not true. Okay, the earliest account we have in history of crucifixion, do you remember the King Darius from the book of Daniel? Or some people call him Darius, who had Daniel cast into the den of lions in Daniel chapter 6. History reveals that Darius is the first account we have of anyone crucifying anyone, and he crucified 6,000 slaves in the city of Babylon. 6,000. We oftentimes think of crucifixion as, well, you know, they have a cross, you lay down on the cross, they nail your hands, they nail your feet, and then they put you up and, and wait for you to die. Well, that is how Jesus was crucified, but crucifixion itself uh, has a lot more variables to it than that. Um, most often when a person was crucified, they were actually killed first. And then they were hung on a cross and they were hung in a public place, always in a public place, because the number one reason for crucifixion was not actually to make death painful. The number one reason for crucifixion was to make that person a public demonstration of what happens to people who disobey the king. It was considered a major deterrent to crime. I'm guessing it probably was. Okay? Um, Most often when someone was crucified, they were not nailed to the cross. Most often, their hands and their feet were bound to the cross. You think, how could that make someone die? Well, usually, a person was crucified with their hands straight up in the air, bound to the cross uh, by ropes. And, and then their feet, they were pulled down where their body was extended and their feet were bound to the cross in such a way that they could not push themselves up. And what happens to the body in those cases? By the way, uh, it was interesting that one of our major universities conducted a study of crucifixion in which they got college students to volunteer. Can you imagine that? To Not, not to have their hands nailed, but... But to be tied, you know what they found? Now, they didn't let any of them die, all right? Okay, so, okay. No rats were, were, were harmed in the making of this movie. But, you know, the deal was, here's what happened. They found out that the average person, if he was tied to a cross and tied in such a way that he could not push up and breathe, would die within 8 to 10 minutes. Okay? 8 to 10 minutes but that the pain along the way was excruciating. So yeah, it was painful. And the reason it was painful was not to punish that person. The reason it was painful was so that all the onlookers would look at that agony and go, I don't want that. You know, I believe I won't steal. Yeah. So now, the interesting thing about whether it was the Persians or the Babylonians. By the way, we have accounts of people being crucified in India. The Celts used it. Um, it, It's been used all over the world, and it was used over a span of about 900 years. 
But, but government studied it to where they could modify the crucifixion to determine whether a person lived eight minutes, ten minutes, an hour, two hours, three hours, depending upon how long they wanted to drag it out. We know from Jesus' account that he was crucified at nine o'clock in the morning, and we know he died at three o'clock in the afternoon. So we know that he endured six hours of that agony. By the way, he could have drunk the, the gall and died in minutes, but he chose not to for a number of reasons. So that's the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. We know Jesus was nailed to the cross with, with nails that went through his hands and through his feet. Why? Because the Bible says so. Now, historical records would show, you know, oftentimes they show, like even on this one, it shows Jesus' feet crossed over like this. More than likely, that's not how it was. He had one foot on either side of the cross, and the nail was driven uh, just above the heel bone inside the Achilles tendon into the cross um, that way. Um, So that's another whole story. We won't get into that. But that's how Jesus was crucified. What does that have to do with atonement? Well, every theologian who has ever written, who was a Bible-believing theologian, has agreed on one thing, that the central thing that took place during the crucifixion of Jesus, the central concept was atonement. That in some way, the crucifixion of Jesus helped put mankind back into a right relationship with God to bring us to a place of being at one with our God. There have been four theologies that have been put forth over the last 2,000 years, four major theologies, and I've listed them for you. In fact, we're going to go through, why did Jesus have to die? What does that mean for me? And how can I get in on this atonement? So there you go. That's what we're going to peruse for the next few minutes. Let's take a look at why Jesus had to die. The first reason that's been put forth is moral influence. And that is, simply stated, the purpose behind everything Jesus did, his life, his teachings, and even his martyrdom, was to lead humans to a correct moral behavior. And therefore, alignment with God's purposes for them. So the crucifixion became the apex of Jesus' life. Because Jesus could teach us how to live, Jesus could show us how to live, but in the crucifixion, he took it to the point of even his own death to show us how to suffer persecution and even forfeit our lives if we have to, and to do it in such a way that we live in alignment with God's purposes. It was to illustrate and bring out the very best that's in humanity. A second theology that's been put forth is this, and that is the ransom concept, that the purpose behind Jesus' death was to surrender his life as a ransom so that humans could be liberated from bondage to Satan and sin so they could live in alignment with God's purposes for them. So the basic teaching here is that sin, through sin, Satan has kidnapped us. We belong to God, but through sin, Satan got us to belong to him, and and someone had to pay the ransom so that we could be set free from bondage to Satan and could be then put back into a right relationship with God. 
Third theology is this, and that's the theology of satisfaction. The purpose behind Jesus' death was to satisfy the debt owed to God because of the sins humans had committed. With their debt now satisfied, humans could be restored to proper alignment with God's purposes for them. In other words, sin is offensive to God. And in the same way that someone, when someone offends you and offends me, they have a debt that they owe to us. It's at least a debt of an apology. But if the way that they have offended us is that they have wrecked our car, they also owe an additional debt, correct? They need to fix our car. It's that sort of thing. So, so the, the teaching of this theology is that our sin has created an offense to our God who rightfully deserves honest and moral and good lives from us. In fact, he deserves perfect lives from us. And someone has to pay the debt of the offense that our sin has created. And when Jesus died, his death paid that debt for us. And then the last is this, and that is the penal substitution. And penal means um, uh, has to do with a violation of the law. Okay? So the purpose behind Jesus' death was to pay the penalty of death God required for every human being who sins. Since Jesus was sinless, he wasn't required to die for his own sins. He was qualified to die for the sins of all other human beings. Once he paid the penalty for our sins, humans could be restored to proper alignment with God's purposes for them. Now the question is, which one of those four is actually correct? And the truth is, all four. The Bible actually teaches all four of those. In fact, the Bible says that Christ suffered, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. What would be the apex of Christ's suffering? would be on the cross, wouldn't it? Sure. So yes, he did die to leave us an example and to call us to a kind of living that is in, mo- in many ways not naturally human. But it is divine. Okay? The, the, the second one, which would be the ransom. The, even Jesus himself said, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to, here's his words, his exact words, give his life as a ransom for many. So, with Jesus having paid the ransom, we are delivered from the power and the bondage of Satan. And it, and it was in the giving of his life that he paid the ransom. How about the satisfaction? The Bible clearly says that when Jesus died, he paid the debt that our sins had created to God. And therefore, our debt is paid in full to, to God if we choose to have it that way. And in terms of paying the penalty for our sins, over and over the Bible says that Christ died as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. So all four of them are true. And when Jesus died, he brought atonement in all four realms. That's why the crucifixion is all about atonement. So that we could be put at one with God. Now, what does that mean for you and me? How could we put that in a simple... I'm going to give you two simple sentences... The first one I know you can memorize. The second one will take a little work. But the second one has a lot more meat to it, okay? Here's the first one. And that is, Jesus died so I could live. You got that? 
Jesus died so I could live. That's the deal. Not, not just so that I wouldn't have to die, but Jesus died, gave up his life so I could find mine. Let's expand that a little bit. And look at this. Jesus died for me. Now, for me means another means a couple of things. He died in my place. It can mean that. And it does mean that. In other words, Jesus died when I should have died. My sins called for my own death, and yet Jesus said, I will die the death that you rightfully should die. But Jesus didn't just die for me in that sense. He died for me. He died to benefit me for my good. And if I die with him, what does that mean? Well, it's very clear that Jesus called me to die with him. Because Jesus said one day as he was teaching, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he needs to take up his cross, deny himself daily, and follow me. Wow. So there's a sense in which I have to experience a crucifixion of my own. And by the way, can I tell you that the crucifixion that you and I need to go through has a little pain involved with it? Can I pull over to the side of the road and ask you a question? If you were God, and your goal was to come and give your life as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for sin, and you could be born at any time in human history, would you choose to have been born during that 900-year span of time? Or would you choose to come to 21st century America and get put to death by lethal injection? Yeah, I think I'd take the lethal injection. Lay me on the table, give me a little shot, and I go to sleep. But he didn't do that because Jesus knew that the life he was going to call us to live had some real pain and inconvenience to it. What do I mean by that? It's not easy to die to yourself. Is it? It's not easy to give up living life the way that you want to live it and doing all the things that you want to do. You might not like the results, but you like doing them anyway, right? Sure. Jesus said, you're going to have this daily decision that we'll get to in just a few minutes. So if I die with him, if I die to how I want to live, if I die to my selfishness, if I die to my own thoughts and opinions that might disagree with Jesus, and I die to the fact that I have the right to hold those and begin to realize that Jesus knows more about life than I do, if I die to myself, if I die with him, then here's a great thing that happens. I get to experience new life in him. Something takes place in our life the moment we decide that we are going to follow Jesus. And the Bible says that God reaches down and divinely inputs deep. Remember the motherboard thing we talked about a while ago? That at that level we have this desire to somehow get rightly aligned with God. Well, God puts in our soul, also at the motherboard level, this new life that is rightfully aligned with God. It's a whole different way of living. And there's an amazing thing that happens. I, I find myself being kind to people that I didn't used to be kind to. 
I find myself going to the church I used to laugh at. I find myself doing things I never thought I would do. And here's the kicker. I'm happier than I've ever been. What's up with that? You see, the deal is, I've got this new life in me, and it's rightly aligned with God, and it feels so good. It's why other people cut themselves. It's even why some people drink the Kool-Aid. They're just trying to get that. And I got it with Jesus. He died for me. If I'm willing to die with Him, I get to experience new life in Him. So how do I do that? Well, there's two things. You have an initial decision and a daily decision. And God speaks to both of those in His Word. Let's take a look at the initial decision. For God so loved the world. Have you ever heard that verse before? Everybody here has heard that verse before. If you haven't heard the verse, you've at least watched TV and seen the guy with the big curly hair that holds up the John 3.16 sign, all right? Here's why he's holding up the sign. Here it is. For God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have this eternal life, this new life in Him. Why? Because God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, not at all but to save the world through Him. That's why at this church, I never deliver teachings, and Kevin never delivers teachings of judgment. We'll tell you the truth. We'll tell you the truth from God's Word, but it's always in the context of hoping and believing that you would get rightly aligned with God so that you could enjoy life. Yeah. goes on to say, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in Him, but anyone who does not believe in Him has been judged already for not believing in God's one and only Son. I want you to hear this clearly. The story of Jesus and the story of the crucifixion is the story of how deeply God loves you to the point that He would choose to not only come as a human being, He would choose to die, and to the point that he would not only give his life for you, but to the point that he would purposely choose to give his life for you in a way that created the most pain that he could possibly endure for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. That's why when somebody interviewed Billy Graham a few years ago and said, Billy, what's the greatest thing? The greatest thing you've ever read from God's Word. Greatest realization. He didn't blink an eye. He said, the greatest thing I've ever learned in my life is Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's it. So the first decision we make is I will believe in Him. I'll stop living my life my way. I will walk His way. I will choose Him to be my one and only Savior. I trust Him with my life. And from this point on, I recognize that it's my job to listen. It's His to speak into my life. And I will experience that new life in Him. So that's the initial decision. Now there's a daily decision that goes with it. And take a look. If someone claims, I know God. Oh, I'm a follower of Christ. 
but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a what? Is there anything ambiguous about that statement? Okay, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Yes, is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love Him. That is how we know we are living where? In Him. We talked about if I die with Him, I get to experience new life where? In Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now you can take this card that we got out earlier. On the back, there's a place that talks about how we can apply today's teaching. And I want to lead us quickly in three ways. They're all very important. Number one, I am choosing Jesus as my Savior today, making my initial choice to become His follower. I pray today that not one single person would leave this building today without being in a right relationship with God. Because, listen carefully, now you know the story, now you know what Christ did for you. If you choose not to accept Him, it is tantamount to rejecting Him. Got it? Yeah, because the offer is there for you. And I want to encourage you, I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. Uh, If you haven't made that initial decision to follow Christ, that you would. It's there for you. What more could God do than come to earth and die for you? He did it all for you. Number two, I will publicly communicate my choice of Jesus as my one and only Savior by being baptized on April the 1st. Did you know that once you make the decision to follow Christ, He says, you know something? I want you to make a public statement about that. And aren't you glad that he didn't say, here's what you need to do. You need to find your nearest local congregation. I want you to stand up there on the platform and I want you to talk for 30 minutes about how glad you are to be a Christian. That's how I want you to make that statement. That'd be pretty tough for many of us. But instead, you know what he said? Here's how I want you to make the statement. What was it that brought your atonement and made it possible for you to be rightly aligned with God It was my death, my burial, my resurrection. So I want you to join me in that. In the same way that I died, was buried and raised, I want you symbolically to die to yourself, be buried in baptism, and be raised to walk in a newness of life. So if you've never done that as an adult, I know, well, I think my parents did it back there somewhere. In fact, I think they gave me a baptismal certificate when I was a little kid. I'm not decrying that. But friends, as an adult, you have the opportunity to join Christ in this and to say, now on my own, I make this choice. So we're going to have, I mean, the timing couldn't be better. We have a baptism service next, next Sunday. And we have a whole bunch of people already signed up, and I'm so stoked about that. Uh, I just want to pray that every single person who's made a decision to accept Christ, you haven't been baptized, I want you to get baptized next week. Not because I want you to be, but because Christ invites you to. And then last of all, I will give extra focus every day this week to living this new life. You notice the word in is capitalized? I want you to hear this clearly. Those of us who are already Christians... The goal of this week is not to live this life for Christ. What is it? 
to live this life where? In Christ. Extra attention this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.